MK Talk YA now presents Unravel the Dusk, Part 1 of the Blood of Stars Duology by Elizabeth Lim. MK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in our latest duology, which is called The Blood of Stars. Um, we read the first book, which was called Spin the Dawn. And now we are halfway through the second book, which is called Unravel the Dusk. Yep, we read up to chapter 20, which was I think a really good place to stop, which we can talk about in a minute, but I was like really impressed actually that sometimes I feel like we, because we just kind of look at halfway because we haven't read the book before when we pick our spot. And I felt like this was a good stopping place. What did you think? I totally agree because it's like a, it's a solid split in the action before like the main event um, Mm -hmm. when, when Maya's hopefully going to encounter this demon that has been haunting her and she just met up with, with Eden again which was good because he's been absent for the first half of this book and I kind of missed him. Except for occasionally when he talks to her through a mirror, which right. had me <laughs> thinking Snow White stuff a little bit. <laughs> I was thinking sleep, or I'm not Sleeping Beauty. I was thinking Beauty and the Beast with the magic mirror. Oh, that is probably better. I think I just saw, because Halloween just happened, a lot of people were Snow White and the magic mirror on my Instagram for some reason oh. this year. So that was like top of mind. But What was your costume this year? So my cousin's kid is three, and he is obsessed with James. I'm okay. (laughs) And so he wanted to be a cop, so we dressed up, all four of us, me, James, and the two dogs, as, like, robbers, like, the black and white stripes and masks and stuff. And, yeah, he got to chase us through the neighborhood. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I bet he loved that. Yeah, it was fun. Did you dress up? I did, kind of. So we did a murder mystery party with some friends in Chicago who were able to quarantine and get COVID tested before we all got together. So we actually rented a haunted Airbnb and we had a murder mystery party. So I was, I had to play two characters because we were a little short on people, but I was the daughter who was like, so I was like a wealthy heiress. And then I was also the mother who was a ghost. So I had some costume changes involved where I had like a black top. And then when I was the ghost, I put on a long skirt and a black veil and like black gloves. And then when I was the heiress, I came down in like a sparkly skirt. So I had a couple costume changes, but it was it was pretty good. If only whatever ghost was haunting your Airbnb had been able to take on the role. <laughs> I was worried actually because I was like, I hope the actual ghosts in this place don't get offended that I'm mocking them openly. Like, that's, yeah, that's not how we. <laughs> but it was kind of fun because I actually wrote the murder mystery game. And um, we were all notorious figures from the year 2020, the spookiest year in history. So I did like puns on characters' names. So there was like an Errol Vaskin who owned a tiger sanctuary. There was a woman who was bioengineering murder hornets. So like, yeah, we had some some good tie-ins. I forget. Did you write the one you guys did last year? Also, no, I didn't. This is my. This is your first one. one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is. But I will totally do it again because it was a blast. 
I, when I lived in Chicago, used to celebrate Halloween with you, but obviously, especially this year, could not travel for it. So one year, hopefully, I'll be able to join in on the murder mystery fun. I know. You absolutely should. It's such a blast. Everyone gets so into their costumes. I had a friend who was um, Simon Stiles, who was a gymnastics champion who didn't get to go to the Olympics this year. And he decided that he was going to be a rhythm gymnast. So he brought like a hula hoop and like a ball and was like doing like his floor routine around oh, the mansion. Oh my goodness. That <laughs> is amazing. Funny. Yeah. I love too though. I mean, yes, this year has been ridiculous. It's great that you were able to like find the humor, find the creativity, get yeah. some friends together in a safe way and still, you know, make the most of Halloween. So yeah. right before we all quarantine for the rest of our lives, <laughs> or at least through winter. <laughs> yeah. So this book opens with a wedding ceremony. Oh my God. I almost like forgot this. This is another, it has gone so many different ways than I expected when we, like the amount that I knew about the series going into it was very limited. And I definitely thought it was going to be way more about like this Taylor in competition and her being disguised as a boy. And like, mm-hmm. that was going to be the major plot point. And it was for like, I don't know, a hundred pages, but <laughs> this like whole book, I didn't even, I don't even think I knew what to expect. Remember when we read the description, we were like, wait, she's going to pretend to be. <laughs> and I was like, how is this going to work? But it, it did kind of work. Yeah, um, so I I agree with that. I feel like this book doesn't resemble the first book at all, really. No, it's completely different. And the the first part and the second part are completely different from each other in a lot of ways, too. Yeah, and it's just kind of, I feel, I'm not disliking the book, but I do feel a little bit like there was a bait and switch here because we started this series thinking it was going to be like a mishmash of Project Runway and Mulan with all these Taylor trials or whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I went in expecting. And like you said, we got maybe a hundred pages of that. And then it's, it's a completely different story with completely different motives and different goals. And it's just not what I expected. Yep. Um, And I'm a little disappointed about that, I have to say. Well, and I was expecting you to be more disappointed than me because I, as you know, love like the political intrigue stuff. And I do feel like as we've seen things between the Shenzhen and the Emperor and like more of that kind of power plays of the powers that be a little Mm -hmm. bit, I think that interests me more than it usually interests you. Versus I like am not a Project Runway fan. So while I enjoyed the costumes, (laughs) that wasn't like the draw for me in the first place. But but no, I totally agree. It feels like a completely different book. She feels like a completely different character because she's also... Maya, yeah. Yeah, she's becoming a demon and really struggling (laughs) with it. (laughs) Talk about character development. (laughs) Yeah, and it's... What do you think about that part? Like her... I don't know. It's just, it's kind of weird some of the ways that it manifests itself or like the struggle, like the identity struggle she's having. Like, I guess I buy into it because I don't know, like the the rules. I just accept them because I've been told they're the rules. But it, I don't know, like the times when she really does forget her name and like, it's just kind of interesting to me to watch her lose herself this way. Yeah. And you know, we see it the first time whenever like right after this wedding ceremony. So it's supposed to be the the wedding between Lady Sarnai and the Emperor to uh, forge peace between the two rival factions or whatever. Yep. But when the bride appears, it's actually not Lady Sarnai, it's her maid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they find that Lady Sarnai is gone and Lord Xena, her lover, is gone too. Um, and the demon manifests itself at the beginning as giving Maya visions right because Mm -hmm. like her eyes turn red and then she gets this vision of lady sarnai killing her guards dressing in their clothes 
and then escaping with her lover. Yep. And so it's it's very strange because it's like at the beginning the demon is almost helping her and kind of throughout it's kind of helping her. I yeah. mean or at least offering help with strings attached, I guess, but Right. Yeah. That's the thing. We don't learn until later that the demon is helping her with a motive and it wants her to use his power because every time she uses this demon's power, she loses more and more of herself. So the thing I still don't fully understand about the magic in this world is, well, really just the rules of the magic in this world, because we also see... <laughs> <It's> everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't feel like while it's happening, I'm just like, this makes no sense. It's not that bad. And she's confused too, so I sort of, as long as they're not like just like, oh yeah, this makes total sense and, and whatever. But um, So she has these magic dresses that she's made from the laughter of the sun and the tears of the moon and mm-hmm. the blood of the stars that we knew about from before. I guess she's the only one who can use their magic. Or we saw, so after the, after the first uh, impersonation of Lady Sarnai, she essentially helps both Lady Sarnai and her lover get captured and then is like sent to dress her for the second night of the wedding festivities and when she puts the dress on Lady Sarnai it like turns on her right the dress puts her in a near death I don't even know how it's I would like describe it it's like a catatonic it. state it, she's in almost like and a she's coma. like bruised and I mean like it like does stuff to her appearance and her skin and yeah and she's like unresponsive and she was screaming about demons right before it happened remember she True. was like the demons yeah. are attacking me before she faints yep I actually I think my biggest thing that I wish we had more of is Lady Sarnai. I am like so intrigued by her and we keep almost making her a bigger character and then she like disappears through our fingers again and I I wish that she would like stick around and we'd get to know her better but regardless. So then and this was kind of crazy because we had just seen the maid who had impersonated her previously got in like huge trouble and (laughs) Maya's just like okay I'm gonna put on the dress and it's gonna be fine and we're just gonna go and try and trick her dad and her fiance and everyone else. (laughs) Which I'm glad that like, when I read that Maya was going to have to take Lady Sarnai's place in the uh, description, I was super nervous that that was going to be like a long drawn out thing. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, how is that going to work? So I'm kind of glad that it was a little bit, it it went quickly. Like she, she puts on the dress of the sun and no one can see through her disguise because it's so blinding. And then people like discover immediately that it's her. It's not like the ruse lasts very long. Like the emperor immediately yeah. discovers it, but he still needs her to be. She, he still it helps her him. To pose yeah. as a bride mm-hmm. so that he can have peace. But then <laughs> the um, Sanchen immediately discovers her disguise too. Which, like, honestly, she didn't know her well. Like Maya didn't know Lady Sarnai well enough to. I think convincingly pretend to be her (laughs) you know like it wasn't like she was her maid and like had spent all this time observing her like she barely knew her so I I'm glad that people saw through it right away because I think that would have been like especially we're we're told they're like similar build that's it yeah but we're not told that they look all that similar or anything but I'm kind of surprised her dad didn't realize sooner (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) And, like, I get that, like, oh, the dress is so bright, no one can look at me for long periods of time, but I was, like, you're, like, as soon as you open your mouth. And especially if you'd already been tricked once. Like, they noticed the maid right away. Right. Which, I I don't know how much more similar she looked or didn't look, but you'd think after you'd been tricked, like, if I were the dad, if I was those Shinsen, I'd want to, like... 1,000% 1,000% know that's my daughter. I wouldn't trust the emperor. <laughs> and I, I did like the scene where the Shamsen says that like, oh, 
only my daughter can shoot this bow and so I'm gonna prove that you're not her by making you try and shoot this bow and she mm-hmm. like has to rely on the demon again to like pass the test yeah but it was almost just like I felt like throughout this entire book we were building up to something and then immediately it changed like yep. when even when she was disguised she was like okay I'm gonna be disguised as Lady Sarnai, and then the Shamsen is the Shamsen is like, okay, well, you have to pass this test to prove you're my daughter, and she passes it. But then he realizes that she has red eyes, and he's like, oh, never mind, you're not, you're not my daughter. So it was just like a very quick switch. Yeah, like no, it totally was. Even at the end, when she, um, not at the end, but when she helps Lady Sarnai a second time, there was a mm-hmm. moment where she is thinking like, oh, Lady Sarnai needs to be at the center of this like she's the only one who can bring this piece yeah bring this piece together and she was like she's gonna be our hope and I was like oh great this is where Lady Sarnai and and Maya are gonna bond she's gonna become an ally she's gonna be the nation's hope and then two seconds so later, excited yeah she <laughs> runs away and Maya was like oh I was wrong <laughs> and I was like well don't set us up for that if like you're wrong <laughs> And then four seconds later, she's captured, and it, she, and I think this is my other issue a little bit was her motivation. So you know she's she knows and we know that she's turning into a demon. So the stakes are like very very high, and she feels like she has a chance of defeating or tricking the demon possibly if she goes while she's still mostly herself and has like this magic at her disposal from her scissors and the dresses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But despite that. She sticks around because she also feels like she's the only one who can bring peace to the Empire or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then at some point it gets to where she like just <laughs> abandons the Empire because yeah. she still... I mean, it, it sort of felt... That's and then like example. the Eden piece of it, like, oh, she wants to see Eden or she doesn't want to see Eden. I don't know. Yeah, it's sort it's, of like, what, what, what are your priorities, girl? And she just completely changes her mind. And that's not... I guess my issue is just, like, with the author for doing that. Like, so many times she was like, I am the hope of the Empire and I must stay in the palace. Mm-hmm. Two sentences later, I'm going to find Eden. Bye. Like, <laughs> it's just... I don't know. It was just kind of a little all over the place for me. And it was a little frustrating because of it. Especially because it sort of felt like even with her identity being discovered with both the Emperor and the Shenzhen realizing that she... Well, different things, but, like, has magical abilities and is demon whatever aligned like they are both interested in her now so it does sort of feel like she could somehow bring peace like it it feels like a weird time to abandon them because she's not a nobody anymore totally exactly but I also am like why did you wait so long why didn't you just go defeat the demon and then come back and bring peace to the empire (laughs) (laughs) and she's like we're learning so much about these demons too or at least we're learning more stuff that then confuses us (laughs) at least in my case Um, Because we do see at the banquet, um, she has a vision where, like, ghosts are calling her and they're saying, like, you can't escape, come back to us. And then she sees a tiger demon where the Mm -hmm. Sanshen should be. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting because way back when, Lady Sanson mentioned that her father tried to unleash the powers of demons on the emperor, but that you can't bargain with demons without, like, paying a steep price. Mm -hmm. So... I thought that was super interesting because we then, later on, whenever Lady Sarnai runs away again and, like, war breaks out again, essentially, we get a vision of the Shansen's demon on the battlefield. Yeah. Terrifying. he has, yeah, and, like, he has an amulet like Bardor does, but it's a tiger, not a wolf. And his demon is named Jaira. I'll let you go for that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
I, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce it, but he can basically summon his demon and she uh, is giving him her power until the bargain is complete. So as soon as he can conquer this country, um, then afterwards she'll claim her price. So I liked that we did get a little bit more about like how the Shanzen, how he was dealing with demons and why and yep. like how they came into play and, and, and why he is so powerful. Like that's why the emperor needed Eden, right? Because you can't like you can't fight a demon horde with just regular mortals. Like you need yeah. <laughs> an enchanter on your side too. So Maya in that in that case, like really could be a good rival for the Sanchen now since she has this demon that she can summon now as well. Yeah. Okay. And then that, but it's interesting because she has two things and I can't tell and she can't tell how much they're working together versus against each other. So she still has the dresses that have been gifted or like allowed to exist or whatever by the god or goddess Mm -hmm. Amana. And she has the demon stuff happening too and Eden said something about because she like turned the dresses back into the walnut amulet thing it like created its own amulet and Eden basically said it's corrupted and that's Mm -hmm. like don't use that but he's also been gone and hasn't really elaborated on that and she and but there's this other kind of tension where it feels like it's like good magic versus the demon bad magic and then again there's times when she needs one or the other or both and they're kind of both helping her as long as she doesn't completely lose herself (laughs) obviously there's been times where she's the demon stuff has gotten out of control but i don't know it's just like kind of weird i'm curious to see how this plays out I was super confused about the two powers that you just mentioned too because it took me a while to realize that like the demon is one power and the dresses have their own power and that she can actually use the dresses as like a magical force. I thought that like once she made the dresses she just made the dresses and then got a wish and that was it. I didn't realize that they had like this magical power themselves. But even that I'm curious about like why did the dress attack is it just because it wasn't the tailor? Like, is she just the only one who can yield their power? I believe so. Because I think the dress attacks Lady Sarnai because uh, someone said that the dresses are not made for mere mortals. And so I, I think that, like, if anyone put on the dress besides someone like Maya, Maya. I think they would have okay. a similar result. But I, I did buy the part about, like, oh, the demon's magic is corrupting the dress's magic, and that's why you can't really trust either because they're they're all just corrupted at this point. I guess, yes, but I also feel like could she not have called on the dress's power to, like, keep the demon magic at bay? or like? I don't think it's strong enough. Okay. But the one part that I got super confused about was when she was on the battlefield, she sees the Shansen's uh, demon. Mm-hmm. She uses the power of the dresses to attack him and, like, save the battle or or win the battle yep but then her demon there's a demon inside her that starts talking and all of a sudden it's female and that confused me so much because I was just like I thought the demon was Bandor and I thought he was like a I don't know they kept using like he pronouns to describe Bandor and then all of a sudden there was like a demon inside Maya that was a she with a different name yeah and i was like who is this demon like what where did this demon come from i thought it was just bandor in the dresses i agree because i thought she would be like taking the place of bandor so i thought she'd become bandor (laughs) like i didn't think there was i don't yeah i agree that also can continues to confuse me about this other like name and the secondary voice in her head that she can't tell from her own which is female which 
is also a sister to the tiger, right? I think so. Didn't they, like, call each other sister or something? Yeah. One of them? I forget. Unless maybe... No, that doesn't even make sense. Because this the Shansons demon, Gryrock or whatever, is like Bandor. They're separate demons that give you your pa- their powers. And then once you're done with them... I don't... Or m- maybe it's, it's Maya herself is becoming a demon. And that's the voice inside of her. Like, it's her... But it's still, they're saying, like, come back and stuff. It feels like it's, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. I agree. I have questions so about that, confusing. too. And what happens to Bandor when she lets herself be a full demon? Because I thought that she was, like, taking his place and he'd go back to being human or something. Right. <laughs> I don't know. And then we have... I'm really excited. So, we have, so we're down one dress. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was also not weird. I guess I sort of buy it. But it's, like, she can use the dresses sometimes without losing them and but then like she can use all their power at once and then it's gone right she like cut up the dress of the sun to unleash its power but she also used the blood of the stars dresses to undo eden's binding or undo his oath so i was like why is it that you have to like destroy a dress one time and the other times you don't and she's even used the sun stuff just to like flash and blind people when she was letting Lady Star and I escape. So she had right. like she could use some of them. Yeah, it was it was a little bit like what makes I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's I'm confused about some of the magic rules. Yeah, I think it's a little a little hard to follow. I'm really excited to meet this other guy that Eden was talking about who trained Bandor or whatever and, like, knows the, I don't know, like, supposedly worships this god who essentially, like, came down and helped humans and the other gods kind of scorn, but he may or may not have, like, started magic and the oath and all of this stuff. And I'm just, I'm hoping he can explain things in a way (laughs) that I'm like, okay, now now I get it. (laughs) That would be wonderful because... Maya learns that Eden's teacher, I guess, who taught him magic, was also Bandor's teacher. And his name was, what can I? Master T S R I N G. Master Master Sring? Yeah. So Bandor used to be an enchanter and now. And he broke his oath, which is what made him a demon, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So maybe this master will be able to clarify things. Um, but yes, the master worships uh, the god... Nandun. Yes. And like you said, he decided to live along mortals and like relinquish his powers. And he was like often mocked for that. But he was the one who uh, started the oath. So he like gathered disciples to him who would learn magic kind of at his hands. And he created the oath to kind of curb some of the desires of his students to become super powerful or um, like some of the students were becoming corrupt with magic. Uh, and so, yeah, he started the whole, the whole thing about the oath. Yeah. So I think it, if anyone knows any tricks or slips or ways around this or whatever, I think it's going to be this guy, right? I think so. I really hope so. <laughs> I also think, okay, so the parts are broken up like the dresses again, or at least the first two that we've seen. So do you think, and the title Unravel the Dust, do you think she's going to have to use each of the three dresses over the course of the book? I do, because remember, you asked that, I think, in the first half, and I was like, yeah, I think the first book's going to be about creating the dresses, and the second book is going to be about destroying them. And so it's definitely I a guess, little bit different, but I do think yeah. all the dresses will be gone by the end of this book. I guess that makes sense. And I forgot you had predicted that. It feels different than destroying a little bit, because it like oh we're using them but we really are destroying them 
She cut mm-hmm. it in half and like, yeah. And then do you think she gets to live happily ever after with Eden after peace is brought to the world? I guess so. We'll see. I mean. If they're both free of magic, maybe. Yeah. But does the emperor live? I still feel like Lady Sarnite <laughs> is going to come back and help somehow. But that's just maybe wishful thinking at this point because we've really seen no indication that that will be true. I hope she comes back too and at least lends some kind of help. <laughs> like I kind of hope the Emperor and the Shenzhen both somehow die. Yeah, because I don't want Lady Sarnai to have to marry the Emperor. Like I want her to be with yeah. her lover. I know. I also, this is a very small thing, but Maya stole that like, uh, or not stole, but she took the potion to heal Lady Sarnai and it didn't work until she used the mm-hmm. Tears of the Moon or whatever. But she said she only used half of the potion. And there's a guy across the hall who's also trying to escape who's like a bloody pulp. I'm like, why didn't you give him some of the, the drops to heal him? Good point. <laughs> but whatever. He got out, so it's okay. <laughs> the other thing that I'm kind of curious about is so we, um, when Maya leaves the palace to go find Eden, she takes her friend Ami with her. Mm-hmm. And on the way, they stop at Master Longeye's house. Her old tailor. I love that. I love seeing her friends come back. I know. And like have faith in her and yeah. So I was super excited to see Long Guy again. But then it also made me wonder like what happened to Norbu? Like. Oh yeah. He's still. I mean we saw that he escaped right? So yeah. yeah, Where is he? He's still at large and he still like has a grudge against Maya. And so I was just like. That is a great question. I hope we see him again because otherwise that is just like such a weird loose thread to leave hanging. We're totally going to see him again, I think. I hope so. I really hope so. I I mean, there are pros and cons to this, but I have not expected a lot of what's happened in these books. True. Things have changed quickly, so I'm like, I am excited to see, I mean, it's a relatively short amount of time, but with how quickly things change and like the stakes in the world and the rules and everything in these, in this series so far, I feel like so much can still happen. So I am excited to, to see what, how that plays out. Do you think Mai is going to become a demon? So I go back and forth. I think at the end of the book she won't be a demon, but I'm gonna say no. They stop it somehow before she becomes a full demon. What do you think? I think she becomes a demon, but somehow Eden is able to like restore her to her old self. Yeah, I could see that too. Just because like she's already so changed. Like when she starts that fire accidentally, and like Bandor impersonates or like possesses Ami and like she attacks her um she's already like fading very fast she didn't recognize Eden at the beginning yeah right yeah and I love how she was testing um Eden's knife on herself to like determine whether or not she was a demon because like one side of the knife kills demons and one side kills humans and right at the end of this half she pulled out the demon side and tried to like test it on her skin and it hurt her so she's like burning or something Mm mm-hmm yeah, she's like almost there. Yeah, I could see that too. I just kind of hope that they can, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. I think I thought this, again, we can't just like aban- abandon like the world as a, at large either. Like it'd be one thing if it was just like her personal journey and like the end of the book I thought would be like them facing, going back to the island and facing Bandor and like figuring mm-hmm. out how to undo or prevent her from becoming a demon and then they could like, be in love, live happily ever after. But we still have this whole, like, Shinsen Emperor, like, other thing happening in the background that we right. have to address, too. So I feel like it's going to happen quick. Like, I bet by part three, 
one or the other of those things is completely resolved. Yeah, I'm almost a little disheartened that we only have half a book left and like not a lot of book on top of that. Like it's a short half. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's going to go so fast and it's going to be a little rushed. And I don't know, I just feel like... It could have been such a richer, deeper story, and it's it's kind of like all at surface level for me. Like, we haven't even learned any more about Eden's backstory, which is what we wanted. True. And I I mean, to try and fit that in at this last second half of the book is going to be a little messy, I think. I would normally agree. I am ho- hopefully, but skeptically, going to reserve judgment until we get through this, just because this, this series has just been completely different than I expected so far. So I am... Gonna give Elizabeth Lim the benefit of the doubt through the rest of this half and then tell you what I think. <laughs> That's true. Because, I mean, maybe we will, like, when Eden is with his teacher, maybe that it, his backstory will come out more there. Because I, and it's interesting, I feel like they did a better job in the first book than a lot of series with, like, building up the romance. I think we talked about that last yeah. time. Like, it didn't feel like that it just happened. But then this book, they haven't been together at all. And yes, she's missed him, but it hasn't been like a, I don't know, my love is missing obsession. I don't know. Like, it's kind of nice that we had that romance, but it isn't the whole thing. So I'm curious how, now that they're back together and she's losing herself, how they'll, how that'll balance everything to like still feel authentic, but I don't know. That's a good point. And like, do you think Eden, I mean, I definitely think Eden will go with her to find the ghosts. Yeah. um, Because she keeps saying like, I'm going to go to Lapser by myself or whatever that place is called. And he's like, put over my dead body, you will. So I think they will end up going together. Um, so hopefully we'll get to see Eden like incorporated more as her partner. I also feel like, and I don't know why I feel this way, but with this author, I'm thinking that they do end up together without magic or without like at least being so powerful that everyone's after them at the end mm-hmm. of the book versus... I always kind of vote for one of the main characters to die and I wouldn't be upset if one of them had to sacrifice for the other and like become a demon or kill each other to bring peace to the empire but I just don't get a feeling that's where this book is going I agree do you think they're gonna destroy the magic scissors at the end because I kind of hope they do Ooh, that's a good question I would like that I hope they destroy them yeah I hope we hear more about them like what like especially now that what we've seen her go through I like have so many questions about her grandma or whatever however distant the relative was who built or made the dresses in the first place and we get like a little bit of a glimpse at the beginning of the book do you remember there was like that opening where they were talking about Maya's mother a little bit more and how Maya's mother like jokingly was like oh let's pretend like we're making Amana's dresses and we'll make three dresses and I was like oh okay so that makes sense because we know that someone in Maya's family has made the dresses before okay but here's another thing while we're talking about her family she's been so concerned and this emperor is so quick to be like I'm gonna murder everyone you've ever talked to if you don't do exactly (laughs) what I say and now she's like run away and she won't even write a letter to her dad and brother and I'm sort of like Aren't you worried that they're going to totally go after your dad and brother? Yeah. Like, I feel like you need to warn them to go into hiding or do right. something. Because the Ascension's <laughs> after her. The Emperor's after her. The Demon's after her. Like, everyone wants to kill Maya. And, like, her family's basically the easiest way to get her. And, again, the Emperor already, that's always his threat. Your whole right. family's going to die. Or, like, or he tortures other people who are close to her. And what was it? I think it was maybe when Lady Sarnai left the first time. It was, like, anyone who helps who's found to have helped her will have death by the ninth degree or something, which means <laughs> right. literally your entire bloodline is eradicated, killed yeah. off. Yeah, that is 
some intense stuff, man. <laughs> I wish I would have researched that now. I didn't. Uh, I wish I had too. I thought that was so cool when I read it, but I kind of forgot about it with everything else happening. Um, what did you research this week? So we have revisited and used a few times the magic carpet. Oh, right. So I, I looked into that a little bit more. Okay. Because again, what I know about magic carpets for the most part can be summarized by the Disney version of magic carpets, which would be the animated Aladdin. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, they are common in, like, Arabian folklore as a whole, but they're, they've, like, appeared in multiple different stories, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm. One of the big stories, too, is, like, the Thousand and One Nights, so the, Mm. uh, I don't remember his name, but the king or emperor or whoever who was killing, who would take a young, beautiful virgin each night, wed her, and then in the morning kill her, and there was this one woman who started telling him a story, and she, like, left it on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. so he wouldn't kill her in the morning, and he, and she um, essentially stayed alive long enough for him to fall in love with her and, like, saved her life. Uh, but she had a story, part of her story involved a magic carpet. There is a book that retells that story. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I read it, actually. Is it good? Uh, yeah, The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adia. It's a du- she wrote a duology that is based on uh, A Thousand and One Nights. Wait, didn't we read that? Or wait, what did we read by her? No, we didn't. So I read only the first book. I didn't read the second one. What did we read by her, though? What was her series, Renee Adia? We definitely so, read... yeah, we read Flame in the Mist. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think I have it in my bookcase I definitely know it but I don't think I've I, or I know I haven't read it yet if that's the one it is uh so King Solomon also supposedly had a magic carpet and there's two different versions of the story mm-hmm. one was that uh Queen Sheba was in love with him and she had like this alchemist at her court I guess who had turned like a small brown rug it was able to hover above the ground just a little bit. And so she, like, invested in him or, like, supported him or whatever. And after a long time, he perfected the skill and he learned it wasn't in how you spun the rug. It was in how you dyed the carpet. Oh, cool. So she got super excited and is in love with King Solomon and sends him this beautiful green silk carpet with, like, gold and silver and all these jewels and and whatnot on it. Um, And it was supposedly, like, huge, like, big enough for tons of people to stand on at the same time. But he was really busy when it arrived. He was building the Temple of Jerusalem. So he gave it to one of his someone in his court and, like, basically ignored the gift. And she was heartbroken when she found out. Mm. So she basically, like, stopped all investment into magic carpets. And the alchemists and everyone who worked with him, without, like, her patronage, uh, couldn't keep making them. And the once they died, the knowledge of how to build them was lost forever. Oh. But in a different story, the cool story, King though. Solomon also had a magic carpet, but it came from God. And it was able to carry 40,000 men in the air at a single time. So he would... Wait, 40,000? Yeah, so he could, like, bring his army and, like, fly through the air. <laughs> I know, this isn't this carpet? crazy? But he, I guess, because of this carpet or something, <laughs> he became really prideful. And so he had to be punished by Magic God corrupts. because he was... Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so while the carpet was flying, God shook it and all of the 40,000 men fell to their deaths. Whoa. Um, let's see what else. There was this king in the 2nd century BC who 
was at war with some other ruler, and supposedly he flew, like, uh, up these mountains on the carpet or some other kind of piece of cloth, Mm -hmm. and he was able to, like, drop fire and lightning on them because he was, like, floating above their heads or, you know, floating up there. Mm -hmm. So it was used not just to transport but also sometimes as sort of a weapon of its own. And there's been stories about people being kidnapped or abducted because someone will, like, sneak into a camp on a magic carpet and (laughs) then get them out without being seen. So there's, like, a number of stories from back in the day. But, again, a lot of them are from like, the Middle Eastern region of the world, I didn't see any, like, Native American stories hmm. about magic carpets, which doesn't mean there aren't any. It's just on several websites that I found that was not what I came across. So I thought it was kind of cool. Very cool. It's, it is interesting how, like, certain objects take on mystical properties, um, and sometimes it is based on geography. Like, what, I don't know, what objects come into vogue that become legendary? It's just interesting yeah. that, like, a carpet is one of the things in that region that is often has magical powers. Well, and just carpet artistry in that region in general. Like, they are known for, or there are areas that are known for, like, making these beautiful carpets even to this day, and... That's probably why. Yeah, that artwork, it makes sense that at some point there was like, oh yeah, and it's magic, or yeah, if you have that much skill, or the more beautiful it is, or the more whatever, it also has power, magic, and... That kind of makes sense to me, right? Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I can't even imagine a carpet big enough to hold 40,000 people or how that would be airborne effectively, but you know. I mean, maybe if you're all lying on top of each other. (laughs) Well, it's just funny too, because in this book, what, she put that mom and her daughter and the fire on it and they, and she couldn't fit. And it's like kind of falling apart. I'm like imagining sort of like a doormat size, not like, I don't know. Definitely not 40,000 people. I'm just, also if that flew through the air, I feel like it would like block out the sun. It would be like terrifying. It really would. And then all those people falling. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that would not be a fun way to go. You need railings. I don't, I don't want to be on a magic carpet without some railings. <laughs> Anyways, what did you research? <laughs> well, I was researching, I was trying to research instances of where someone mistakenly married another person instead of the person they thought they were marrying based on oh, what happened with goodness. Lady Sarnai. <laughs> so I couldn't find anything about that, but aside from like some biblical stories. But what I did find was um, an article that shared secrets that people kept from their significant other until they were married. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. Yeah, so like basically it's secrets that people only revealed to their spouses after they tied the knot. Did they, like, reveal it on the wedding night? No, I mean, like, no, no, was no. it, like, okay. <laughs> it just, like, came out after they were married. It's not like, haha, you're stuck with me now, by the way. No, 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 no. <laughs> And most of them are pretty lighthearted. Like, I tried to keep it not too serious. But this was cute. There was one couple that didn't realize that they both spoke fluent English. Hmm. So they're a Spanish couple, and they lived in Spain, and they didn't have any English-speaking friends. So, like, it never came up. But... One time, the woman had a social event at work, and she introduced her husband to her boss, who was Dutch, and he was, like, trying to speak in broken Spanish to them, and then he started to, he turned to the woman and started asking in English about something, um, because he couldn't figure out how to say it in Spanish, and she started responding in, like, flawless English, and then her husband was like, wait, you speak English? And she was like, (laughs) yeah, wait, you speak English? Oh my God. And so they basically just 
had a whole conversation then in English about how they both spoke it fluently, but it never came up. And what I thought was so funny was they said whenever they put on English-speaking TV shows or movies, no matter who put it on, they always added Spanish subtitles out of consideration <laughs> for the other person yeah. who they thought couldn't understand English. Oh my goodness, that is hilarious. I love that. The funny thing is, like, I'm just imagining I have very limited language skills in my first language, so you can only imagine my inability to speak a second language. I would be bragging so much if I was fluent in another language. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone would know. Chad definitely (laughs) knew that I could speak Italian before uh, we married. (laughs) So the other one, this is cute. So... (laughs) This uh, person was uh, talking about their grandparents who met at a school. And so she um, saw like a cute guy in her office, I guess. And she was like, hey, um, I think you live near me. So they like live down the street from each other. And she was like, do you think you could take me to work? Like, could we carpool? Like, would you mind giving me a lift to work every day since we work in the same place? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then he was like, could you make me like a sandwich for lunch in return for me giving you a lift to work every day? And she was like, absolutely. So they had this like routine where she would make him sandwiches. This is already a cute story. And he (laughs) would take her to work and they would work together. And and then, you know, he'd drop her off. And (laughs) eventually they got engaged and they were married. And then when they were married, um, they like moved to another town and her husband was like, oh my gosh, like, can you make me one of those amazing sandwiches? And then he found out that his wife absolutely despised making him these sandwiches. Like, <laughs> she she was like, I would have done anything else, but like, I hate making sandwiches. So they <laughs> were married for 54 years and she never made him another sandwich. I love it. That is hilarious. I like that too. <laughs> She was like, yeah, I just did it to like pay him back for taking me to work, but I hated making him sandwiches. It's so funny. I feel like you hear about things like that anyways. It's like, oh yeah, like once you're married, like, I don't know, <laughs> that, that perk will go away or something. But it's like, well, I did it because I really liked you. But now that we're married and you know me better, never again. <laughs> um, There was a uh, man who didn't realize his wife could juggle until he like jokingly tossed a lemon at her and she started like throwing it in the air. And then, like, to, you know, just to, like, mess with her, he threw another lemon, and she just started juggling that one, too. And then he just kept adding lemons and, like, realized that she could juggle, like, up to four four or five objects at a time and just was completely blown away by it. That is awesome. I'm going to try throwing things at James and see if he knows how to juggle. <laughs> it's a good test. Um, there was one who was, like, I think this was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but a woman was saying she didn't realize her husband liked country music until after they were married and that was like devastating to her (laughs) james didn't like country music before we dated but now he does and that's the only thing he listens to oh boy this one's kind of messed up so this other person posted about their grandparents and they said that their grandmother was 24 when she got married and she thought the man she was marrying was 25 but then during their honeymoon her husband confessed that he was only 19 whoa (laughs) and she was annoyed but then she was like okay whatever it's fine but like and at least she wasn't like 34 and he was like oh by the way i'm 19 years old 
<laughs> but still, like, I don't know, 24 and 19 is, like, still significant, I guess, especially just because 19 is so young. I, I was going to say, at that age it is. Like, right. five years isn't that big of a deal, but when you're 19, <laughs> that just feels so young. Oh, my goodness. I would be horrified. I would be absolutely horrified by that. I also just would be like, how did this not come up? Or, like, how, like, I don't know. But I guess, how often do you actually ask someone their age? Like, if you, you well, make certain references you, or something yeah. and you kind of just, like, assume that, like, especially if you, like, I don't know, like, how long have you been working here? Yeah, like, when did you graduate from school, as usually yeah. when it comes up. Or you learn their birthday eventually and, like, can figure that out. Yeah. I don't know. But that is weird because then it's, like, she definitely didn't know her husband's birthday until she was married, which feels so weird <laughs> to me. Like, that feels bananas. But I guess also, especially, or maybe not especially, but probably more common back in the day, people would get married relatively fast sometimes. Yeah, like, true. have shorter engagements and, you know. I mean, I, I feel like nothing this big or interesting or exciting, but I learn things about James every day still, so. Yeah, actually, that is true. I forget what it was, but I did something the other day and Chad was like, I've never seen you do that before. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> guess I'm still keeping you on your toes. <laughs> Yeah, which is fun. It's fun to learn th- new things about mm-hmm. someone. But yeah, I feel like something recently happened too, like in quarantine. And I'm like, how have it, we've been in the yeah. house together? How have I not seen you do this? <laughs> I know I've done this before. You just haven't observed <laughs> me doing it. Anyway, okay. So predictions for next book. Or the rest of this book? The rest of this book. Um, I mean, they live happily ever after and peace comes to the nation. No magic. And magic disappears, and Lady Sarnai ends up actually being really cool, secretly. Oh, that'd be great. Both the Emperor <laughs> and the Sanchen die, because I'm sick of them. That'd be yep. great. And something good happens with her other friend, Ami. Ami, Ami, yeah. She finds her family, or something. Oh, right, because she was sold to the palace. Like, in a horrific twist of events, we learned that. So, I don't know if I want her to be reunited with her family, because I don't know if they if that would be good but I definitely want something good to happen to her yeah I want something good to happen to her but she seems ready to be reunited like she doesn't seem bitter she has like fond memories and it seems like she understands I don't know I mean I can't imagine but yeah we'll see she's with master she's in good hands right now she's with master long guy so yes I do like them being reunited um we need to start thinking of a fan name too because we only have like 200 pages left and I haven't even started thinking about it so we will get on that. The I need to like look up sewing terminology. Oh. What are they? The seamstresses or the <laughs> I don't know. I'll think of something better. That was that was bad. <laughs> we'll get there. Do you have a joke for me? I do. <clears throat> I think I have another Halloween themed joke. Okay, perfect. Sometimes I get nervous, like, oh I have to get it right, and then I'm like, no, it's fine. It's a dad joke. You'll like this. You'll you'll your math brain will love this. Oh, I'm excited. What do you get when you divide the circumference of a jack-o'-lantern by its diameter? Divide 3.1 pumpkins left. You basically just said it. Pumpkin pie. Oh, I was kind of getting there. Yeah, you really were. <laughs> but, that, but, I, but sometimes I go so literal. I'm like, this isn't funny, but you it is funny if you say pumpkin pie. pie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how many jack-o'-lanterns would there be? That's okay. Amazing. That, that is good. I do. I love especially pie jokes. I don't know why. I think pie is an especially funny number. <laughs> You're such a math nerd. <laughs> I love it. Anything else? What else do we do? Yeah. No, I think we're just about there. If you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. 
uh, everyone else should message us stories of things you've either found out about your significant yeah. other after marriage or, or secrets have... you withheld. Yes, exactly. I'm going to try and think of a good one by next week. We'll see. Uh, well, I recently found out that my family's descended from witches, so that just came up, but Ooh. I was not purposely Keeping withholding it. that yes. from him. <laughs> well, this is like not that important, but my husband is a big car guy. And we just bought a new car, and when we got it, I was like, my family used to have this car. And it's not something oh. I would have ever told them, because I don't remember. <laughs> like, I would, if you had asked me what kind of car my family had growing up, I wouldn't have been able to tell you anyways. Um, but it was just funny. I, like, sat in it, and I was like, we drove around Europe in this car. It's the car we had in Belgium. So that was kind of a fun thing that he learned about me. <laughs> I feel like, what, did you know he was getting it before you got it? I mean, I, I did, but I didn't know. I, I'm just bad at cars. He, like, yeah. told me it was whatever the numbers and I was like cool go get whatever you want oh and then I sat in I was like whoa flashbacks (laughs) that's so I love when things like that happen because that makes me feel like that's like a sign that you're meant to be together right yeah like that's what I would think yeah I love like small world stories Mm -hmm. and that's yeah for sure okay anything else you want to share nope let's finish this book bye bookworms go get a library card M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.